I want to start with a question for online people first and then for those of us in the room. Um, so it, have you ever had some, or let me take it this way, if someone has both good news and bad news to share with you, which one do you want first? Okay, so if you're online, let us know in the comments what, which one do you want. Do you want good news first or bad news first? All right, yep, okay, hold on, whoa, Marina. No, it's anarchy. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, so, okay, now in the room, okay, how many of you would say you're good news first people? Not a lot. Sometimes bad news first people. Okay, wow, that's, okay, that, I don't know if that busts my theory, because here was my theory. My theory was that good news people are more optimistic, and bad news people are, poor, are more pessimistic. And if I'm right, boy, we are a, like, down group. So hopefully that's not the case, right? Because here's how I, my brain thinks about it. Um, I'm a bad news first person because I kind of always assume that everything's about to fall apart. Anybody else kind of live that way? Like, if things are going too good for too long, you're like, oh, no, I'm due something bad. I'm due something bad to happen, right? That's kind of how my brain works. And, and so I want the bad news first because once I know that there's bad news, my brain takes off. And I'm not even going to hear the good news until I know the bad news. And then, so if the bad news turns out to not be that bad, Oh, oh, I was thinking way worse than that. Okay, what's the good news? And I can actually enjoy the good news. Or if the bad news is really bad, then maybe the good news will take the edge off of it. Like, that's how I think about it. And some of you probably think like me, and the rest of you probably think I need therapy, and that's okay. Um, but I'm, maybe I'm a little more of a pessimistic person than that, uh, than most. Um, but aside from being on the receiving end of good news or bad news, I think probably most of us have been in the position where we had to tell somebody good news or bad news. And I got to tell you, I'd much rather be the good news person than the bad news person um, because bad news is hard to give, isn't it? Um, for me, um, if I, there's one kind of moment. You know you have like these tentpole memories in your life that are just clear as a bell in your head more than most? And this is one of those. And it was the time I had to tell my dad that my grandma had passed away. Um, we knew it was coming. It was obvious. She'd been in the hospital for about a week at that point, been unconscious, not eating, not drinking. We were waiting for her to pass. We knew it was, her time was short. And so my dad had been at the hospital like the whole time. And my mom finally says, you know what? I'll stay the night. You go home, get some sleep. He comes home. He, he is asleep about 20 minutes. And I get the phone call from my mom because she knew I was a dumb young college student who stayed up till like 4 a.m. every day for no reason. So she calls me and she's like, your grandma just passed away. Uh, you got to go wake up your dad and, and have him come up here. So I knew I needed to do that, right? Like I knew this was an important moment. And everything in me, though, wanted to walk outside, get in my car, and drive away. I did not want to give this information, this news to my dad, as necessary as it was to go down and actually tell him that his mom had passed away. I didn't want to do it. Um, now, on the other hand, when you have good news to share with someone, it's the opposite, isn't it? Like, don't you, like, look forward to, like, sharing the news with someone? Um, I remember when we found out that we were having our, our first baby. Like, that's one of those moments where you think, okay, pretty much everybody I tell is going to be happy or at least pretend that they are, you know? They might not care, but they're going to still go, oh, good for you. Like, no one's going to be like, oh, great, just what the world needs more of your DNA walking around. Like, like nobody's probably going to do that. So you're pretty sure that you're going to be like, okay, I got something. And the second we find out, like, it's just like, 
oh, I want to tell everybody I know. But you know you shouldn't. You know, there's like a, you want to wait a little bit, you know, let the pregnancy get a little mature, more mature and all of that. And, and I wanted to tell people, and it was so hard not to tell. And I probably was the one that squeaked the news out more often than not. Um, but I remember the first time I told a group of people, and it was here at church. Uh, one Sunday, it was after the service. Most people had gone home, and there's a few people hanging out in the foyer chatting. And one of them was a doctor, and Abby hadn't been at church that day because she was super-duper morning sick. And uh, this lady who's a doctor said, hey, I didn't see Abby today. Where is she? I said, oh, you know, she's home. She's not feeling well. And just straight out, she goes, is she pregnant? And I probably look like a deer in the headlights. I didn't expect anybody to just point blank ask that with so little information. I mean, but wow, really intuitive. And, and I just went, uh, uh, yep. Like, I didn't, I didn't have a, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to lie. I'm a pastor, right? And so, I, yep. And th- I think it was partly, though, I just wanted to tell people. And so when the opportunity arose, I didn't really resist that hard because good news is something that is fun to share. And, in fact, part of what makes the good news good is the ability to share it with people and to celebrate with people. In fact, I think good news was meant to be celebrated, and and something is lost when we keep it to ourselves. I think part of the joy is taken away when you don't share that good news with other people. Now, today what we're going to do is we're going to start a a new teaching series that will be in for for five weeks. At least if you're following along with the Core 52 uh, stuff that we've been doing, we had books that we gave out at the beginning of the year. Uh, Fun fact, last week was halfway, so we're halfway through this Core 52 journey through the Bible. And so what we're going to do for the next five weeks is spend uh, our time in the book of Mark. Now, Mark is a really interesting book in the New Testament. Now, there are four books that start the New Testament that we call Gospels, uh, which is simply, it means a biography that is about Jesus. That's pretty much when we talk about a gospel as a piece of literature, that's what we're saying. It's a book about the life of Jesus. And John was most likely the first one written. In fact, when you look at Matthew and Luke, they, they look really close to Mark in some points. That's probably because they were using Mark as a reference. And in ancient times, you often didn't quote the sources as well as much as we do today. They were more interested in sharing this story of Jesus than they were about giving credit to people. Now, Mark was a pretty early on disciple of Jesus. Um, he knew Jesus when Jesus was alive. Uh, but he wasn't like one of the top 12, you know, like the, the, that Jesus' closest 12 disciples. Um, but he was still there a lot. And, and in fact, we know he was probably um, with Jesus the night that Jesus died. Um, but also the thing that I appreciate about Mark is that he didn't always do everything right. He wasn't like a flawless, perfect, heroic example of like this guy was a Christian who always did all the right things. Like sometimes when you look in the, read like through the New Testament and you read um, the words and the story of the Apostle Paul, like sometimes he's a little brash and, and up front, but man, it looks like, he, man, this guy just always does the right thing. And it can be a little hard to relate to somebody like that. But, but I get Mark. He didn't always have this perfect record of doing everything right. Uh, for instance, there's one little thing that Mark puts in at the end of the book that seems so weird when you read it, 
unless you think, I think he's talking about himself. At the very end, it says, when Jesus was arrested, there was a young man who came up and wanted to defend Jesus against these Roman soldiers, um, but did a really bad job, and they grabbed him by the robe, and so he just slipped out of his clothes and ran away naked. Like that, like so Mark's like, I tried and failed and ended up running away literally naked. Like that's an embarrassing moment. Like, and then the next day at the cross, it's like, oh no, Jesus, every Jesus died. And everyone's like, yeah, it's so terrible. And then Mark's like, I'm not even gonna tell what happened. I tried, I'm not even gonna tell my story. Like, but he and so when he writes his his book, right, he puts in there that an anonymous young man, this happened to him. And it only really starts to make sense when you're like, this must have been a story about him. And another time, we see that he went on a, a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. And he was going around the Roman world on this trip, sharing the gospel and planting churches. And for some reason, like halfway through, he just kind of bails on Paul. And it really made Paul mad to the point where the next time Paul went on a journey, he refused to take Mark with him because he's like, this guy flaked on me last time. I'm not going to make the same mistake again. And, and later on, I think Mark reconciles with Paul, but he, he ends up doing some great stuff, even to the point of writing this book that becomes one of the major works of literature that has affected millions and millions, if not billions, of people. So he's a guy who his obedience level and his success rate wasn't always great. It wasn't perfect. But yet he still followed Jesus to the extent where he made some significant differences with his life. And so we're going to call this series A Beginner's Guide to Greatness because I think Mark, more than most, know what it feels like to be around Jesus, to know the road that Jesus wants us to follow, and to know how hard it is at times to walk that road, but yet how necessary it is to keep walking even when we stumble at times. And so this is what we're going to start looking at today. And today specifically, we're going to spend our few minutes together talking about sharing good news, because that's what Mark says his book is all about. So let's just go to Mark chapter 1, and we'll just start at the very beginning. Mark 1, 1. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, one thing that's also kind of fun about Mark's book is that it's the shortest of the Gospels, and he doesn't waste any time with fluff. He just gets to the point and just speeds to the end. Like, he just really is all business. And so he starts not with, like, some of the other ones that are genealogies of the story of Christmas and Jesus' birth. Mark's like, all right, let's get down to business. Here's the story of Jesus. Go. And he just gets into it in verse 2. But, but he starts here by saying that what this book is about, it is the beginning of of the gospel, of the story of Jesus. Now, the word gospel here, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes the word gospel can, can now in our modern world, it means a type of literature. It means a biography of Jesus. That's not really what it meant here. The, there's a little Greek word, it's not a little Greek word, a long Greek word that is translated gospel here that is the Greek word euangelion, is how you pronounce that nonsense in the middle there. Uh, but it literally means good news. In fact, depending on the Bible translation, some of them will say the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so even though today we have this word gospel that is a very clear religious terminology, right? That's not what this word originally meant. It was a word that just simply meant sharing good news. It was news that was important. It was big. It was worthy to talk about. After you heard it and you know, share with your friends, it was the stuff you talk about at the dinner table that night. It was always about big news. And it wasn't a religious word. In fact, more often than not, it was used politically. Um, it was a word like, um, think about 
um, when the the Caesar, the major emperor, like the top dog in Rome, when something good would happen in his life, um, if he had a kid or had a birthday, they would send messengers out to every corner of the Roman Empire to share the good news. And basically it was propaganda. It was a way for the emperor to tell everybody, look, I had a birthday, which means I'm healthy and I got another year older, or I had a kid, which means there's more of my great family line coming for you wonderful Romans. You're going to be blessed with more of me. And that's kind of the way it was sent out. And sometimes it was like for military victories to say, hey, we're Rome, we're strong, we beat more people. Let's all clap together. And so they would send these messengers out, and these messengers would come into town and declare that they had euangelion, or good news, and the people would gather in the middle of town. They would listen to these declarations, and then they would go back, and that would be like the talk of the town for a few days. And people who didn't hear about it, who weren't able to be there, they would certainly hear about it because it's all anybody would be talking about. Now, it's really easy to kind of understand this idea when you look at how politics work and think about this in political terms, especially in our modern world, okay? Think about how politicians in our day spend a huge chunk of their time. It has, it's not doing politics. They spend the most of their time marketing themselves. They spend most of their time being a walking, talking advertisement for themselves to convince everyone that they are the best politician, that their policies are the best policies, that nobody can address the problems of their county or state or country like they can. Nobody is better suited than they are. And they're constantly talking themselves up. In fact, if they're talking about themselves, it's always going to be positive. Even when something bad happens, they're going to spin it to make it sound good. Like, you could have a politician who came out to give a speech, and halfway through the speech, just projectile vomits on the first several rows, and the next day their press release would say, they're overflowing with enthusiasm for their constituents. And that's, how, that's just how it rolls. That's, they're always walking, talking advertisements for themselves. And in this ancient world, it was the same. That's what these good news announcements were. They were just advertisements for the Caesar and the glory of Rome and how powerful Rome was and how trustworthy the emperor was. And so this message that was prepared that went throughout the whole world was called good news. And so this euangelion, this good news, it was a word everybody knew. Nobody thought about it in a religious sense. They just thought about it in a political sense because that's where it was used the most. And then Mark and other Christians come along and they kind of swipe this word from political use and they start using it to talk about Jesus uh, we got good news. It's better than that good news. And, and they did something that was really interesting. Usually when this word is used, it was plural, meaning we had some good news. We had, it wasn't all the news. We just had some good news. But when Christians used it, they always used it in the singular, meaning that they were saying, we have the good news. Good news that, that can't be rivaled by any other good news. We have the best news, news that is the good news to end all news. The goodest of newses is kind of the way that they were saying it. And so for Christians to, to take this and to say it that way, it was one pretty controversial, but also pretty risky. Because one of the things about Rome was that kept one of the ways they kept their power was anybody who challenged their devotion or even said something kind of crossways about the Caesar, like that's how you got got. Like that's how you got um, killed. In fact, that was one of the things that was put over Jesus' um, cross while he was killed. Was It said that he, it was the, the, the charge that he stated that he was king of the Jews and there weren't supposed to be any kings outside 
of Caesar. And so for these Christians to say, let's talk about the good news, the good news of Jesus, was a way of saying, uh, all that other stuff, we're going to talk about something better than that. We're going to talk about a, a kingdom that's better than Rome and a king that is more powerful than Caesar. And Mark starts this book off with this first line saying, let's talk about the good news. Because it would have been a way that would have stopped people in their tracks. Whatever people were doing, whatever they were thinking, uh, most often this was probably a book received by churches and they would stand up and they would read this aloud to a group of people. And when someone said, hey, let's talk about the good news of Jesus, people would have been like, wait, what? Jesus? Like, that's weird. Like, they would have stopped and wanted to keep listening because they would have thought, who has the audacity to, to, to talk about this random guy from the nowhere part of the Roman Empire and compare him to Caesar. Who has the audacity to do that? Like People would have listened simply out of curiosity because all of this about Jesus, this amazing story to tell, they didn't know it just yet. And, and this word was so strongly associated with these big, triumphant, political propaganda statements from the capital that it would have just thrown it off enough for people to understand. But Mark did this for some very specific reasons. He wanted people to know and understand that what followed was incredibly important. They didn't use it as a joke. They didn't just use it just as a shock tactic to get people to read the rest of the book. They really meant, you, you guys think you know good news. No, I'm going to tell you the good news that makes everything else seem small and insignificant and little. And what he told, though, in the rest of his book, I mean, just a little to sum it up, what he told was about the story of the fact that the Son of God stepped into the world, that God put on a human body, however that works, and he came to make peace between humanity and God because humans had angered God with their behavior. And that's something that we all know. It's something we all can understand because as much as we try to justify ourselves and think, I'm not a bad person, or we compare ourselves, I'm not as bad as that guy or that lady or that, usually we're like, I'm not a serial killer. Like, that's a good way to, you know, make sure you feel good about measuring yourself, right? Um, as much as we try to justify ourselves, if we're really honest, like, we know, we know we've done stuff that's not just bad or wrong, but we probably all know that we've done stuff that was evil. Like, we've said things for the explicit purpose of hurting people. We've deceived when we could have told the truth. We've hurt when we could have helped. We've ignored people that needed a leg up when we just decided, I don't want to give what I have to give right now. I just want to be selfish and do things for me. We know that we've done things that by any definition were wrong, were evil. And so Jesus came to take care of that problem of our sin, our wrong between us and God. And so he came and he lived a life of utter perfection. He did only good things his entire life, never did anything wrong like the rest of us. And then he offered himself to be a sacrifice in our place. Whereas we deserve death for our wrong, Jesus stepped in our place and he took the death that you and I deserved so that we could have forgiveness. And he wasn't just like one of the other thousands of people that the Roman Empire hung on a cross because they did, they killed a lot of people that way. He was the creator of the universe. He was God in flesh. Or as Andy Stanley likes to say, he was God in a bod. Uh, he, was, he was God in a human body. It's kind of catchy, right? Um, it, it, it reminds me a little too much of like cheesy 80s and 90s workout videos to say bod. I don't know why, um, but it's catchy. Um, but anyway, he, he wasn't just a normal person. He was God in flesh, God in a human body. And 
He died on the cross because he was one, the only willing, perfect sacrifice for us um, because his life was perfect. He had no sin to speak of. And he died in a way that death didn't hold him. He was so powerful. The grave couldn't keep its grasp on him. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And Jesus came back for you and for me. He died and he came back for you and for me so that we could have life. And he promised that anyone who trusted in him for their salvation would be forgiven of all the wrong they've ever done, would be freed from all the guilt and the shame that they've accumulated for themselves, that they would be destined to resurrect just like he did at the end of, the, uh, end of time, and just like Jesus, we would get to spend eternity in unending joy. That's the good news that Mark wanted to share. And that is good news that many of us have heard, many of us have believed. That's the good news that keeps us hopeful in moments when life deals us out some really bitter tragedies. It's the truth that keeps us hopeful when we look around and we watch the news and we see the brokenness of our world. It's the good news of Jesus that, that has led so many of us on journeys that have changed our lives for the better. They're, the good news has given us stronger friendships, better marriages. It's helped us be better mothers and fathers, sons, daughters, brothers, and sisters. It's made us better people. And the good news of Jesus, no matter what you compare it to, the good news of Jesus is the ultimate good news. There's nothing that even comes close. If it is true excuse me, that Jesus rose from the grave, and we get to spend eternity with God in a place forever where there's no pain, no suffering, no, joy, no, 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 no death, uh, no funerals, nothing like that. If there's nothing bad ever that will touch us on the other side of death because of what Jesus did, there's no, nothing that even remotely compares to the good news of Jesus. But the thing about good news is that good news was meant to be shared. That's the nature of good news. And when we don't share good news, something is lost. In fact, I think we, like I said, I kind of got a lot of nods at the beginning, so I think we all understand this to be true. We all know that good news was meant to be shared. For instance, if in some weird way you learned that I had won the lottery before I learned that I had won the lottery, like, wouldn't you, like, at least pick up the phone? Like, wouldn't you be like, hey, you need to check that ticket? Like, wouldn't you, like, try to at least lead me to that information? Wouldn't you be pretty pumped to, to, to share that with me? Or would you, like, say, hey, throw that ticket away, and then you go through my garbage? Hopefully you're not that kind of person, right? But, um, I don't, but, but hopefully you'd want to share it with me, right? Like, that's just kind of the nature of it. Or maybe, let's say there, you had news that would benefit my family by saving us. Maybe you knew for some reason you just had a dream or an intuition that my house had a carbon dioxide leak or a monoxide leak, and you knew, oh, that's bad. I need to let them know so that they can fix this and, and be safe. If you had news like that, you wouldn't keep it to yourself. Like That's just the nature of helpful, beneficial news. And so that's exactly, though, how Christians should feel about the good news of Jesus. We should be excited, thrilled, eager to share it with other people because there is no better news. The good news of Jesus solves so many problems and heals so many heartaches that everyone in our culture is dealing with. You know, I think we've convinced ourselves that nobody wants to hear it. We've convinced ourselves that for, for, it was good for me, but it's not good for anybody else. But the, the truth of Jesus, it speaks to literally every pain and every heartache that anybody is going through. I mean, do you know how many people sit around in lonely silence every day feeling like they have no place, no purpose, no value in the world? 
people who are living their lives every day trying to prove that they matter, prove that they have worth, often by climbing some ladder of success, whether it's at work, whether it's by trying to prove that they're the best parent or that they're, um, you know, they can be the strongest person at their gym or whatever it is. We try to do these things based on performance. And if I can just achieve enough and do enough, then I'll prove that I matter. And so they have good days where they feel great because they succeeded and days where they feel like a failure because they didn't succeed. Well, it's the good news of Jesus that, that reaches into all that emptiness and shouts, of course you matter. You, of course you're loved. Jesus came into the world and died for you. God wouldn't have came into the world to die for you if you didn't matter. You don't need to prove that you, that you matter. You don't need to prove that you have value and worth. Jesus already proved it to you. The beautiful, beautiful message of Jesus speaks to that and gives freedom and hope to people who are under that weight. Do you know how many people live every day thinking about the mistakes of their past? who just live their moments replaying over and over again the, the, the bad decisions they made and thinking of all the ways that if they had a time machine, they'd go back and remake those decisions the right way so they wouldn't hurt the people that they'd hurt or mess up their lives the way that they've messed up their lives. And they're convinced that there's no better days ahead of them because of what they've done in the past. Well, the good news of Jesus, again, it speaks to that because it says, of course there's freedom from that regret. Of course there's not a way to necessarily undo the ways of the past, but when Jesus went to the cross, he took all the failures that we've struggled through and he erased them with his blood. He washes them away with his blood on the cross. Um, do you know how many people feel like their best days are behind them? Maybe they didn't make mistakes. Maybe they just like really knocked it out of the park for a few of those years when they were younger in their prime. And then they've gotten a little older and, and they spend their days going, oh, if I could only go back and, and be like that again. If only I could go back. And, and they don't see anything good in their future because they had this really awesome moment that they dwell on over and over again. Well, again, the gospel speaks to that because the story of Jesus is um, the best this life has to offer, whatever that was in your past that was amazing to you, that is only the smallest taste of the sweetness of the eternity that we were going to get to spend with Jesus. So why wouldn't we share this? If it speaks to every hurt and heartache in our world, why do we keep this news to ourselves? It is good news for everyone. It's hope for the hopeless. It's joy for the defeated. It's healing for the broken. It's love for the lonely and the left out. Why do we struggle to see how good this news really is? Why do we, not, why, why do we struggle to see that it's not just good news for us, but it's good news for everybody, whether they know it yet or not. Why do we sometimes even go out of our way to avoid having to share the good news, right? I mean, let's just be honest. If you've ever been in a moment, you've had that feeling like, should I talk about Jesus right now? And you thought, no, that would ruin the conversation. I don't want to do that. It'd be awkward. I'd be, and you would like change the subject, take a hard left just to get out of doing it. That's just this weird modern thing that is so counterintuitive to how Christians were meant to live their lives. And we were meant to go out of our way to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And when you look at how eager we are to tell people about really stuff that in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter, like, I mean, you'll tell people about a restaurant you went to it was great, had good food, good service, whatever it was. I mean, you'll talk about this really good show on TV. You'll rave about about recipes that you tried. You'll share, we'll share life hacks on social media. Okay, did you know? I haven't tried this yet. I saw one the other day about getting the pit out of an avocado. 
How many, how many of you, you sit there and you hit the knife with it and try to twist it out, right? This person cuts an avocado in half, turns it around, and just boop, and pushes it on the back, and just, the little thing just popped right out. I can't wait. To, I, like, I almost wanted to go to the store and buy an avocado, and here I am. I loved it. I'm sharing it with you. This is what we do. We get something new and exciting, something that thrills us a little bit, and we tell people that's the nature of good news. Even today, Independence Day. I'll bet most of you, if you haven't already, if you have social media, you'll go home and share something patriotic about the, how proud you are to be a citizen of this country. Or maybe you'll go home and you'll talk to people about how proud you are to be a citizen of this country. And yet, those things, as great as they are and as fun as they make our lives and as joyful as they make our lives, restaurants close, TV shows get canceled, countries rise and fall. But the good news of Jesus is the one thing that stands forever. The salvation that we find through Jesus endures forever. The good news of Jesus is literally the only thing that you could give someone that will last forever, that could change not just the next time they cut up an avocado, but will literally could change their eternity. The good news of Jesus was meant to be shared. And being people, Christians, church members, who were meant to share and take this good news and hand it to everyone we know. This was meant to be like ground zero where the gospel would spread from the church. We absolutely, positively cannot neglect to spread the word. Let's pray. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for the good news of Jesus. The salvation that you gave us through him is a gift that we cannot thank you enough for. It's a gift that we in no way deserve, but it's a gift that many of us have gratefully and joyfully received that has changed our lives and it has changed our future eternity. And Father, we thank you for that amazing sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross to be the ultimate sacrifice to wipe away our record of wrongs so that we could be free from our mistakes, free from punishment, and have joy in eternity with you forever. And I just pray, Father, that you would help us to be so blown away by the gift that Jesus gives us that we would be unable to keep it to ourselves. I pray that our hearts would be so full of the joy that we have in Jesus, that we would tell people about it, that we would have conversations, that we would at least want to show people that sometimes the things they put hope in are, are far too small, and that we have something better for them that can heal the wounds the way their current sources of entertainment and distraction and self-medication just can't. So thank you again for the life we have in Jesus. May we not keep it to ourselves. It's in his beautiful name we pray.